Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the SJ Chronicles. Today is Monday the 25th of September 2017. So I hope you had a good Monday and indeed I hope you had a good Sunday. I um, had a nice day yesterday, it was a really good visit, um, catching up with my friend. You know how um, you just have some friendships with people that regardless of how long it goes in between you seeing them, or indeed speaking with them, um, you know, that bond is still there and it's all just very familiar um, and very natural and uh, as it always was. Um, so it was basically like that, so it was very, very cool. Obviously it was a short flying visit, but um, but good. The um, The journey back was actually also pretty, uh, pretty smooth sailing, to be honest. It wasn't that much in the way of hold-ups or anything like that. So door to door, as it were, from Utrecht to um, uh, Hatfield, where I live in London, uh, England, um, in about five hours, I think, in the end it was, but not too bad. Um, as I had a bit more sleep on Saturday night, I was able to uh, actually do something useful on the journey back, and um, I actually chose to listen to an audio book. Um, the book is called Angel, and it's by somebody called Jason Calacanis, and um, I suspect most of you listening to this will not have heard of him, but maybe some of you will. Um, Jason Calacanis is one of the leading angel investors in the world, at least insofar as technology-related startups go. So an angel investor is basically an individual who is obviously of relatively high net worth and who chooses to make investments in startups. Usually you're talking about in the vicinity of somewhere from maybe um, $25,000 to $150,000. It can be less if, um, if they combine together with other angel investors in what's known as a syndicate. But usually it's that kind of amount of their own personal money. And um, they will typically invest in startups at a very early stage, you know, so where in essence the risk is higher but the potential reward is also higher. And, you know, I haven't got time in this um, podcast to go into in detail all the different stages that there are when it comes to businesses that are being seeking funding um people often talk about you know seed round and then um early stage investment an a round a b round a c round and in essence the people that are investing in each of those rounds and the amount that's being invested in each of those rounds is going to um vary so angel investing is becoming uh, a growing phenomenon i think really it's fair to say across the world um, especially as more and more people seek to do other things with their money than leave them in a bank account where there's no interest or, you know, leave it at the discretion of others to safeguard their financial freedom in the future. Um, so yeah, I was listening to this audiobook of this, uh, of Angel and, um, yeah, really, really good. I mean, I, it's great to hear firsthand account of, you know, somebody who's been angel investing for five years, had some really massive wins including an Uber and um, another business known as Thumbtack, and plans to do it for another five years before he stops. But he's obviously, you know, done very well 
for himself and he was um he's basically self-made you know from a humble um upbringing in brooklyn to now being uh where he is a real character as well um the point of all of this is that angel investing is something that you know i'm i'm very keen that i will do later in life obviously i need to have the financial means to do it and i do not at the moment but actually you don't just need financial means because you can sort of become advisors and start to dabble in that kind of area by offering your skills and expertise rather than money per se in return for equity but that's sort of different to angel investing so one day when i have the ability to i, I really look forward to doing that i think it's something that i will be naturally suited to um so yeah all good i'm going to um sign off from this segment and i'll pop back after the interlude and carry on cheers And I'm back. So today um, was basically just spent catching up on a bunch of stuff, uh, working at home on my computer. Um, loads of things that were sort of just built up from over the weekend and, you know, have various things that needed taken care of. Again, the usual gamut of different things that, um, that I do. Um, one of the things that I haven't started yet, but I will do <laughs> tomorrow morning is... Um, Tomorrow evening I'm doing a CPD course session event <clears throat> um, a couple of hours drive away from where I live um, so I'll be heading off for that mid-afternoon and uh, I think the people that are organising it are quite happy with the turnout because I think they were expecting fewer and it sounds like there's a pretty good turnout so that should be cool. Um, I'm actually doing two sessions a month apart for them. What I'm going to do is spend tomorrow evening talking about some basic fundamentals of emergency and critical care. And then in a month's time, hopefully most of the people will come back. And what I will do then is split them into groups and give them a hypothetical case each and give them some time to think about the case. And then we will discuss them as a big group. I've done this in the past at um, CPD sessions that I've done for vets and, um, and indeed vet nurses. And, you know, it's gone down really well and people seem to really enjoy the, um, interacting and engaging with each other and the opportunity to discuss real cases albeit I've stylized them for um, to suit my purposes in terms of what I'm trying to teach so that'll be in a month's time um, but yes yeah, so I've got to do some prep for that CPD I'll try and do that tomorrow morning um, I wanted to spend the rest of today's episode talking about two things um, both of which are things that have arisen over the last two three days that kind of have been in my mind the first, and, and to be honest, to some degree, they're kind of related to each other. The um, the first is around, which one shall I do first? Um, let me do this one first. So the first is around people's natural inclination to assume that everybody is the same. There's a kind of comfort from thinking that, you know, you're all the same as each other. And you know, it sort of becomes a little bit less comfortable or maybe just a little bit less believable that there may be some people that you know and potentially know very well and on the face of it may have or rather at least have had a very similar existence to yours that those individuals may not necessarily have the same priorities or perceptions or in particular that'll feed on to the next point I want to talk about, the same responses to things. 
um, as you might as an individual. And I think there's a massive tendency for people to just assume that everyone is the same and therefore say the same tried and tested things to other people or, you know, regurgitate and recite the same kind of cliche responses about situations or theoretical learnings about how to handle things or, or whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, I think that applies in, in lots of areas in life where everyone, you know, everyone, want, I think it's almost more comfortable for people to assume that everyone is the same as them and they are the same as others and you're all part of one big kind of community or grouping. Um, and of course, you know, not necessarily being willing to accept or not necessarily accept um, recognizing when somebody who may have been part of that group is striving to, you know, um, separate themselves or I don't say rise above the group, but, you know, just maybe on a different trajectory or path. And I should emphasize here, I'm not talking about myself. It's just a point that has arisen in the past. And there's some classic quotes about this whole scenario. Um, I was listening to something, God, it's a while ago now, but it was by Zig Ziglar. Um, I can't remember the specifics of it, but he was basically making this very point, you know, that, um, people have comfort from being in a sort of group together and, um, it takes courage or some sort of, some sort of thing, some sort of difference for somebody to want to put themselves above or at the front. Um, and, you know, everyone else may be very, very slow to recognize, um, that, you know, that individual may not be uh, part of that club. But anyway, I'm going to sign off again. I hope some of that made sense. And then I'm going to come back and talk on the other side of this about mental resilience. And I'm back for the final segment of today's episode. So... I want to move on from the last segment to talk about mental resilience, but as I said, I think it is related because I think there is an inclination to assume that everybody responds to everything in the same way, and therefore you can, you know, speak about such things as mental resilience and apply it to every single person. Um, but I guess the point I wanted to make is I often say in these episodes that I do believe that there is a different way of living, that most people don't live in that way may not even be aware of the possibility of living in that way, but should they understand it and attempt to embrace it, um, that I feel that they could live in a very different way to perhaps the kind of conventional accepted paradigm. That's not to say that I've achieved this, but I feel like I'm on that journey. Um, and the more and more I talk to people and the more and more I engage with people, you kind of get to sort of have a barometer of yourself relative to the responses that other people have to things. And the reason I wanted to talk about this was because there is this sort of idea that, um, you know, if we're, if we're talking specifically in the context of a business or an organization and the culture that you create, there is a sort of idea that all of the people that work in that company, all the members of that team have individual levels of mental resilience. So what do you do about that? Okay. So the one thing is you say, let us try and create a situation from with our culture in this place where we test the mental resilience of, of our team members as little as possible. Okay, so that's one thing that one can do. The second thing you can do is to say, and then how do we help our team members to develop their own mental resilience so that wherever it is that they're starting from, their mental resilience will improve. So we both 
reduce the challenges to their mental resilience and improve their ability and give them the tools to enhance their mental resilience. And so in this paradigm, what we're really looking to do is to have as little challenge as possible and people who are as able as possible to have mental resilience. But the bit of that, the, the sort of another level or the different paradigm that is the one that I kind of often try and allude to that I think, as I say, it's not easy to obtain, but I wish people would at least, you know, allow themselves to believe or to to believe that it is possible and to maybe try and embark on a journey to see if they can get there, is to say, well, if you think about what mental resilience essentially is, what we're saying is you're going to be exposed to things that are going to challenge you mentally or take their mental toll on you. And it's a matter of how well you absorb those things and how well you tolerate them and how much of that you can cope with. But what if those things didn't actually affect you? then the whole question of mental resilience goes out the window because you're not absorbing them and you're not having to cope with them and tolerate them and see how long you can hang in there for because they simply don't affect you. And I understand that that on the face of it seems like, how can that be? How can anybody live in that way? But I do wish that people would allow themselves to at least accept the possibility that they can because I really think that's when we start to get into this territory of kind of paradigm changing the way in which most people live their lives and completely changing the narrative. And of course it's difficult because you can't just go go down that path because the vast, 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 vast majority of people are not in that place. And you have to engage with them and help them in their daily existence. And you know, if we bring it back to a company and an organization and the culture, then those two things I mentioned before about mitigating the uh, challenges to their mental resilience and giving them the tools to cope more and to improve their mental resilience. Those are obviously key parts of what one needs to do. But I, for one, you know, will not stop talking about the fact that I do believe there's another way to live, which is partly why it also makes me laugh when then people kind of say stuff to me that is back to my point about just assuming that everybody lives in the same paradigm. And so all of these things must equally apply to all of us. Um, you know, and it takes people time to understand and it'll take people time to understand that not everybody is necessarily the same and that those things do not necessarily apply to everybody. Um, and I, you know, one, one can totally understand why that might be. Anyway, I hope some of this makes sense. I'm not always very, very good or very eloquent at explaining what I mean, but, um, I hope some of it's coming across and bit by bit, the key points of my thesis, if you like, are becoming clear. I'll catch you tomorrow and um, it'll probably be quite late by the time I get back from my CPD. But um, yeah, I'll catch you tomorrow. So cheers. Bye. I'm back again. I forgot there was a tune I wanted to play you today. So um, and I forgot my uh, habitual sign off. So I hope you enjoy the tune. And um, in the meantime, take chances, be compassionate, live in a beautiful state, have an open heart and an open mind. Enjoy the tune.
I hope you enjoyed that. Catch you tomorrow. Bye.